Welcome to the podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Billy Eyelash. Wow, uh, you're the first person to ever make that joke. How do you feel? How do I feel? I feel like everybody else who said that joke. No, unoriginal. you're the first person. You're the first person I'm to ever I'm the first make person to joke. feel unoriginal. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. I have made up a new word. It's called plagiarism. You know how many fucking people say that? Fucking Literally everybody. everyone I've ever met in my life. Everybody. All right. Whatever. Who gives a shit? Welcome like, to the podcast. The thing is, it's not even like, it's not even really degrading. It's just because eyelash sounds like eyelash. That's just, that's the whole joke. That's as yeah, deep yeah, as that yeah. joke goes. Yep. Anyways, we're talking about her new album, Happier Than Ever. Yes. Happier Than Ever. It was released literally about a week or two ago, uh, July, July 30th. 30th. And it is 56 minutes long. Yes, it is. Because it's got 16 tracks, so we might be in for a long one. So, yeah, I have a story to tell you. Okay, okay. I woke up. I think last Thursday morning, and and I I was hearing my parents talk from the other room about about Tom York, and I I was taken aback a bit, wondering why they of all people were talking about Tom York from Radiohead. So so I went into the living room and asked them what happened to Tom York, and they told me he died, and I I was I was shocked by this, and then I asked them how old he was, and they said he was ninety. You know, time is relative. It turns out they were talking about an old news anchor who happened to also be named Tom York. So Tom rest in York peace, Tom York. We're not going to see Kitty. We're not going to see Kitty. I'm so sorry. But he's not. He's not actually dead. Anyway, I had my second COVID shot and it kicked my ass. Yeah. How bad? Yeah. I had a fucking fever like for about a day and a half, and it was it was a miserable experience. It, it real. It made me realize that. Getting sick is possibly the worst thing on earth, and even like getting a cold, it is not as bad as a cold. I, I prefer the cold, even with my hearing get, getting like kind of fucked over for about like a couple weeks over having a fucking fever, because that that was just miserable. I was just laying on bed, sweating. So imagine how bad it'd be if you had COVID. I already had. That's right, you did. I love life. Yeah. I get so lucky. You know what? A day, a day of flu symptoms is, is nothing compared to COVID, because I also had, like, the day after my second shot, I felt like I had the flu. Yeah, so let's talk about the news, right? Yeah. Should I go first? I think I should go first. Phineas announced a new album, Optimist, out October 15th, with a lead single, A Concert Six Months From Now. What the fuck is with the artists coming up with things like that? God damn it, I was going to name my EP. <laughs> a Concert Six <laughs> Months From Now? No, a fucking full year later. Legal, legally distinct. <laughs> legally, hey, I came up with my album title before that even fucking showed up, okay? The Doobie Brothers have announced a new album, Liberté, coming out October 1st, along with a four-track EP that's out now. Lady Gaga announces her second album with Tony Bennett, Love for Sale, which is also out October 1st, and it's a tribute to the music of Cole Porter, and the lead single, I Get a Kick Out of You, is out now. And honest to God, that's all I have. So what do you have? Well, here's what I have. Aphex Twin Sister is Wales's first climate change minister. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yes. Now we finally know what Aphex Twin's name means. What? What does it mean? Uh, okay, take that back. That, that, that didn't land. Did you just say that with no setup? You just set yep, up a joke I said with, that no with no setup. No punchline. No punch oh my god. This is this is a true anti-joke. It really is. 
Big Steve releases two songs, Little Things and Sparrow. I saved this for last. Trap Mask Replica gets added to Spotify. What? No. Yes, now we can now all people listen can to... experience it in its entirety and actually give money to the creators. Oh no. Oh no. Beefheart is dead. <laughs> That's true, but we can give it to his estate that he probably doesn't have. <laughs> <laughs> if people listen to it, where did the money go? Fast and boldness. I have some pre-album thoughts. You have some pre-album thoughts? Okay. Yes, I wrote this down. Album prelude, specifically. And it's it has its own section. Okay. Well, I have like a shit ton of background information, so if you feel like good that thing should I'm, go first, then good go thing for I, it. Good thing I interjected really quickly. Mm-hmm. To be clear, I have a lot of respect for Phineas. Because of him, it allowed more t- down-tempo songs to actually chart on the radio, which I think is amazing considering how something like that in the past would just maybe make a slight blip and then disappear forever. Oh yeah, for sure. And I would say like a lot of his production stuff actually stands out compared to a bunch of like a lot of other producers and or producers who produce things for other people. And because of that, I actually can enjoy the stuff. So are you telling me that not only might I have finally picked an album you enjoy, but I might have picked a pop album that you enjoy? Just maybe? Just possibly? Everything I want was a good song. It was a great song. <laughs> not on the album. Everything I wanted. Oops. I mean, <laughs> Oops, not on the album. <laughs> I thought that that song could have fit in somewhere. Uh, you know, because... I mean, I was going to say this later, but I can go ahead and say it because it didn't really fit in that well where I was going to say it. it. When it came out, we thought it was going to be the lead single from the next album, but ultimately it ended up going on like deluxe versions of the previous album. So that, yeah, I don't know. To me, that just feels wrong. I, I mean, the more I listen to it thematically, it does kind of feel like maybe it belongs more in the last album, but it, it's definitely a, a, a between album kind of song. Yeah, well, I can't say shit because I didn't listen to the first album. Great. I definitely will not reference it a hundred thousand times when talking about this one. Okay, so Billie Eilish is a fucking superstar. Her first major success was with the song Ocean Eyes in 2015, which was written and produced by her brother Phineas, who I mentioned in the news and Andrew just talked about, and he's had his own successful solo career writing and producing for some pretty big names when Billy was only 14 years old, was when Ocean Eyes came out. This led to the release of her debut EP, Don't Smile at Me, in 2017, and first album, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go, in 2019. Both, like Happier Than Ever, completely co-written and produced by Phineas. But there's a little more to the story here, and I think it's important context for this album. In February of this year, 2021, there was a documentary released on Apple TV Plus called Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry. It turns out that the entirety of the process of making that first album was being filmed for this documentary, covering everything from the tour after the EP to her massive Grammys win in 2020, where she collectively won five Grammys for the album and the single Bad Guy, and Phineas won an additional one for Producer of the Year for his work on the album. The documentary doesn't show everything, but it is very telling about how fame can impact a person at such a young age, as keep in mind, Billy was only 17 when that album released. But that's also a reason I've always really admired her and her rise to fame, because she accomplished so much so early on, and developed a public image of just not giving a fuck, and doing and saying whatever she wants with probably very little impact on her success. 
And I think this is something that very few artists, even ones that have been around for decades, are able to pull off. Like, the only other person I can think of who could pull that off is Gene Simmons from Kiss, and he doesn't exactly use it for good. She just doesn't care, and is able to be whatever kind of artist she wants to be, because she's very unlikely to flop. And I think that's why her music is so unique feeling, particularly on When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? It's dark, it's depressing, it's very artsy, but it works. And you can really hear in non-dance-oriented mainstream pop music today the influence that Billie's first album had. Nobody was doing music like that before she came around, and now it feels like kind of everyone is. And then... She continued to be successful, winning in this year's Grammy's Record of the Year for the song Everything I Wanted, which we mentioned earlier, which was released a little bit before her nominations for the 2020 Grammys in 2019, and Best Song Written for Visual Media for the theme song of the next James Bond movie, No Time to Die, which still isn't out, by the way. And then finally, on July 30th, we got a second album, recorded mostly in lockdown from the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's take a look at Happier Than Ever. Track one, Getting Older. Starting off with an instrumentally minimalist track with a repeated synth riff that reminds me a lot of You Want to Make a Memory by Bon Jovi, this song focuses very non-specifically on growing up and dealing with the ever-changing nature of all the things that came with her fame, whether they pertain to her relationships, interacting with other people, working on music, or her opinion on herself. I liked it more than I expected, but I wasn't too big when the, the kick drum started. So I like the intro more, I guess, or I don't know when the fucking kick drums got added, but I, I know that I didn't like the part after that. I really like this as an opening track, and not just because of the familiar synth. Vocally, it's really reminiscent of some of the stuff on the Don't Smile At Me EP, but the general melody of it feels like territory that Billy hasn't really gone into before. So it's like this blend of old and new styles. And I think that idea perfectly sets up this album thematically and musically. Track two. I didn't change my number. And now, for something completely different. I changed my number. Yeah? Yeah, I don't like people. Also, Jesus Christ, that intro. I'm not too big on the instrumental, especially towards the end of it. Yeah, this one has a lot more of an R&B vibe than a lot of her other work, other than maybe Bitches, Broken Hearts, and You Should See Me in a Crown. And normally I wouldn't like that. I think You Should See Me in a Crown is the weakest song off her first album. But here I think it works a lot better with its vocal delivery and scathing lyrics. And then there's that dirty synth sound in the outro, which at first I didn't like how it sounded and thought it went on a bit too long, but then it kept going for like just long enough for me to start vibing to it. No, no, it, there, no. The only reason why I don't like it is because it sounds like something I would pr like possibly produce if I was like forcing myself to work on a song a day and I was like 3 a.m. or something like that. That's probably the only reason why I didn't like this track. Track three, Billy Bossa Nova. Keeping the Surprises Coming, a literal bossa nova song with more acoustic guitar than any of her other work thus far. I like the guitar intro and tone. Doesn't really go anywhere instrumentally, though. Yeah, it stays pretty consistent, but I'd say for the most part, a lot of songs in this album do that. Yeah, there's a couple songs where that works, but like for the most part, I like more movement in my music, mm. personally. But it's also made me realize that there is a bit of a formula going on here. At least with how the instrumentals kind of like flow. Mm, interesting. I think it's the song has like a weird juxtaposition between the somewhat upbeat instrumental and her usual down-tempo vocal style. And I think it works really well, especially in the pre-chorus and chorus. Track four, the first single released back in July 2020, My Future. And in my opinion, 
the most underrated of the singles from this album. I didn't hear this on the radio once, but it's absolutely one of my favorites. Like, it's the only song on the album with any shred of optimism, just about loving the person you're becoming without needing to be reliant on other people. It's a very different kind of self-love song that I haven't really heard anyone else do before, and that change-up from the ambient first half to the R&B elements of the second half that seem to be more prominent on this album makes it a great lead single, serving as a kind of transitional song in a way that Everything I Wanted doesn't really do. You know why this wasn't played on the radio? Are you going to say because it sucks? No, because of the lack of capitalization in the title. But Everything I Wanted doesn't have capitalization in the title. Oh shit! This was a joke! It was just supposed to be a joke! Well, you br- do bring up something that I wasn't going to address, but it's interesting because it seems like the songs on When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? And Don't Smile At Me. I mean, the Don't Smile At Me EP, the name of that EP is in all lowercase. The name of When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? is in all capitalization. But all the songs on those two, on that EP and that album, other than I think Copycat on the EP, are in all lowercase and Copycat's in all caps. And like... It seemed like that was the first album I at least noticed it. And it seemed like after that, a lot of artists putting out their next work made all their tracks all lowercase. Like it was a weird like trend for a little bit. I mean, it doesn't bother me. It's just it's weird that that became a trend. Like I I don't I don't get it really. Actually, mm, I shouldn't say I hate it. I know LCD Sound System did it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like everything I wanted did it too and I think No Time to Die did not do it No Time to Die had regular capitalization because you know it's a freaking movie title and then I think with My Future they were still kind of like in that era so they were like you know we'll still like lowercase this and then from that point onward with the next single Therefore I Am they were like let's actually put normal capitalization on the songs on this album because that was a weird short-lived, not even short-lived because people still do it. It was a weird trend. It was a really weird trend that a lot of pop music and just a lot of music in general did for a couple years there. And so the only fully lowercase one in this one is My Future and the only fully capital one is Goldwing, which we'll get to. Actually, I think that My Future was the first track recorded because I have here written that it was re- like April 1st was like of last year. It was yeah, uh, it was like a month into quarantine as far as I'm aware. But so it would make it was, a lot it was, of sense. It was one of the first ones recorded, but I think I remember her saying that in some interview or something that it wasn't the very first, but oh, it was very case, early. Never mind then, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know then. I, that's weird. Why everything else is capitalized except this song. But I guess my own little mini theory is that you have to kind of go backwards in order to go forwards. In what? Elaborate on that? (laughs) Because I get what you're saying, but I don't get why you're saying it. Well, I mean, like cases of trauma, the only way you can like literally go forward is to like kind of understand and accept the past. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And so I guess in a weird way, it makes sense with the album. Eh. In order to really embrace your future and your future self, you have to acknowledge everything of your past, hence the lowercase title of the song. Yes, thank you for regurgitating uh, whatever I said. I will say I don't think it's that deep, but that is an interesting interpretation. It was just my interpretation. It's 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 definitely interesting, but I, I guarantee you, if, if, it's just, if Billy it's or Phineas heard that shit, if Billy it's or Phineas heard that shit, they'd be song. like, what? What the fuck? No, we didn't think about that. <laughs> I know, I know, because like as a musician myself, I, I I go on a whim whenever the fuck I want to capitalize something, and when I don't, like literally, yeah. it just it, it's just on a whim. 
I don't I like know. that though. I, I do like your theory. That's interesting. I don't know. Cause like there is some meaning to why something would be like not capitalized. There yeah. is actual meaning. So usually who knows? I don't, but I have some thoughts on this one. I thought the instrumentation would swell and I was like really hoping that it would, it would grow into something with like, I don't know, maybe some brass or something. And it oh, didn't. That's interesting. And I'm like slightly disappointed. I liked the first half more before the drums like actually kicked in. Yeah. Second half wise, I would have probably preferred some more extra instrumentation, some areas. But the vocal harmonies are good. Hell yeah. Track five, oxytocin. I hate to say this, but this one does not really do it for me. You know, this song reminded me of Milkshake yeah? in a weird way. And so I <laughs> I don't know how to explain it other not than every abstract R&B song like, is milkshake. Something about the instrumentation of the song reminded me of it. Vocal delivery towards the end of the uh, song reminded me of David Bowie's Girl Loves Me. Oh, I haven't listened to that in a hot minute. I can see that. This could be a great life song. Yeah, but yeah. she said something about that also. Yes, because literally this was I maybe the last song written for the album like a couple months ago, the last song made and recorded and stuff. And I think the intent was to do like a high energy song that will be like really fun to perform live. So yeah, it's high energy. It's sexual. It's even a little bit threatening. But the instrumentation and vocals just don't appeal to me as much as the rest of the album. I won't go as far as as to say I dislike it, but I think I'm leaning in that direction. If nothing else, I like the echoiness of the chorus. I didn't like when it switched. Well, did it really switch up? I don't know. I didn't like it because to me, it was lacking like the oomph that a lot of other songs have. Like, like I get it. It's a pop song. It's part of a pop album. It didn't get as heavy as I wanted it to. Yeah, like it maybe, maybe it could have been better a little heavier. But it also does feel very heavy compared to some other stuff. The other R&B flavor song. Flavor? The other R&B flavored songs on the album. It's a little heavier than Milkshake. Track six, Goldwing. Anyways, how about a fucking church choir? I'd prefer if this was like an instrumental. That it would be a very good The chorus had actual words. What do you mean if the chorus had actual words? I did not like the chorus. Like it it was like a weird scatting thing. I just I did I was not no. No. Oh, the, the keep your head d- 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 down or whatever. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, th- that felt stupid. Yeah. Eh, eh. Uh, so this song is about a woman who hasn't been manipulated or corrupted, giving her this heaven-like purity, hence the choir vocals in the intro. But then the rest of the song brings back the R&B elements with Billy's heavily reverbed choir vocals repeating Goldwing over and over in the background, almost to the point where it sounds like an instrument rather than vocals. It's a super neat effect. Otherwise, the song doesn't really do much for me, but I find the uniqueness of it to be a novelty. I felt like it was surprisingly short, and that was about it. It was. I think it's the shortest song on the album. That would explain it. Track 7, Lost Cause, the fourth single released in June of this year, 2021. Also, the song that I infamously mentioned in the news of the first episode of the podcast, where I said that Billy is hot now. Gossip. Gasp. God, I was still caught off guard when you fucking said that. I don't, okay. think, of, I don't think of anything like that. Okay, in my defense. In your defense? That's the point of the video. I didn't watch the video. Right, right, I didn't right. give a but shit I'm telling about you the now, video. But I'm telling you now. She yeah. and her friends are trying to, they're having fun and trying to be sexy without any need for romantic partners, which is a wildly different tone than the song itself, which is a fuck you song directed at a worthless ex-lover. 
I really like this one. The tempo and abrasiveness are perfect for a song like this. There have been a number of times since this came out that I'd find myself singing this casually when I'm pissed at somebody. It's so cathartic. The song doesn't really do anything for me. It doesn't really go anywhere interesting either. I thought that the guitar at the outro came out of nowhere, but after listening a little bit more carefully, it's actually a background element in the song that was raised up to levels where we could hear it. That actually caught me off guard. Good or bad? No, I was just surprised because I, I, I didn't... Like when I first heard the guitar outro, I thought that was, oh the guitar was just used as like a like a like as an outro thing only. So I was like oh, that that was a weird choice, but I guess I understand. But so no, no, neutral. it was it was there from the beginning. Well, I'm mad at Billy because she released a commentary track on Spotify for every song on this album. But for this song, she literally just said this song speaks for itself. Which yes, you're right, it does. But that's so unsatisfying when all the other tracks got like half a minute of commentary. I'm going to keep that in mind if I ever do a Spotify commentary. Yeah, if you ever do a Spotify I'm just gonna commentary, say, I'm going to say every, that like every song just be like, oh, yeah, this song speaks for itself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck interpretations. I'm not going to explain it for you. The song speaks for itself. I'm going to be one of those pretentious assholes. I mean, you can say it's up for interpretation as long as you give like something to work with. But like, oh, yeah, be like, yeah. If I make oh, the lyrics very forward and upfront, I'll be like, for itself. <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, I'm just going to be shouting the meaning of the song throughout the entire song. That like, like, leave no uh, interpretation at all. Just fucking give you the delivery of it. Just do that. Track eight, Haley's Comet. This is a simple and very romantic love song, maybe more traditional than anything else she's done before. So this is an album about relationships. Sort of. Ah, I get it. Sort of. What do you mean, sort of? Not every song. Well, it, well, album, album-wise, as a whole, yes. Mm. Yes, it is. Okay. Song's all right. I actually feel kind of bad. I was driving my friend somewhere the other day, and he and his girlfriend, who is also my friend, are really going through it right now and having some issues, and I had my pop playlist on, and this song came you on. You motherfucker. And I forgot what it was about, and so towards <laughs> the end of it, and so towards the end of it, after some very specific and shockingly accurate to his situation lyrics, he started telling me the story about when he was driving around someone who had recently gone through a breakup, and he was told to actively try and to, to avoid playing breakup songs to not make her sad. I felt so bad because I didn't even realize and was just trying to enjoy a new Billie Eilish song that I'd only heard once or twice before that point. I felt so bad. <laughs> also, this song has a false outro. The last minute of it is like a completely different song with different effects on it. It's interesting. Oh yeah, that part. I was like, eh, it was sort of interesting. That was it. Track 9, Not My Responsibility. So, this song requires some context, as it's not so much a song as it is a spoken word piece over some ambient music. I like the ambient bit. I like the ambient bit. Oh, good. That's great. I do too. So this was part of a video that was used as an interlude in her early 2020 tour before COVID hit. And then the full video was released in May of that year. And it's pretty direct as far as its meaning goes that women's value shouldn't be determined by their attractiveness or what they wear or how they choose to present themselves. And that other people's opinions of her body are not her responsibility. But it goes a bit deeper than this in Billy's case, because keep in mind, her rise to fame was as a minor. Most of her public appearances and live performances had her in baggy clothes. One, because they were probably more comfortable with all the jumping around she did on stage, but also two, so that she wouldn't be sexualized as a minor. 
if people couldn't see her body, then they couldn't have opinions on it. But once she turned 18, she was no longer a minor. It was less of a threat for people to know what her body looked like. So she was less secretive and has continued to be since then. Note the aforementioned Lost Cause video. But her turning 18 didn't suddenly mean that her value should be determined by her attractiveness. But so many people in the music industry, most notably men, are conditioned to think that way. And she's not exactly the stereotypical skinny model type that a lot of women in the pop industry tend to be. So, of course, that led to a lot of really crude articles and bad press. So I think it was a bold and important choice to put the audio from this video on the album. And this topic is elaborated on in the actual song on the next track. Well, you elaborated uh, a lot more than what I had wrote down about this part. Yeah. I just wrote down, like, I, I was kind of, like, surprised at how in-depth it was about parasocial relationships and people projecting themselves. It, it wasn't something I was expecting on, like, something like a mainstream album and to also go as as in-depth as yeah. it did. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm always off-put by spoken word stuff on, on, like, normal music albums. God, you would fucking hate Black Country New Road. But yeah, you do, you do make a good point about that, like, yeah parasocial relationship and people projecting because i think celebrities are easy targets you know because like it's easy to think that like oh they're on top of the world they're successful nothing i say will a reach them and b even if it does hurt them but that's not true because they're people and i think in a lot of cases putting down others whether they're celebrities or not is a lot of a reflection on yourself it's like i'm insecure about this so you should be too and I think that's where a lot of criticism, particularly physical criticism, comes from that. Hmm. I have something to say also about the song. The spoken word at first, I was very confused. But towards the end, I was like, OK, I understand why. In, in the sense of like why it was even put behind like the ambient instrumental. But also thinking about the instrumental, it, it, it reminded me of Tree Fingers from Radiohead's uh, Kid A, which was also an ambient song. Track 10, Overheated. I wasn't expecting this to like have a transition to this song. I thought that at first, like I was hearing the end of the last song and I was like, oh, this is different. And then it comes back to this song, but is much more danceable, which was really strange because it was an ambient song. Like the, the basis of it was still that same ambient song. Yeah, yeah. And that was surprising to me because it actually worked with a drum beat. Yeah. And I, I get that there's a little bit more instrumentation, but the fact that it, it just translated well into a much more driven song, that and the vocal melodies are good. Yeah, along with that transition, the song emphasizes the fuck what you have to say about my body, I'm gonna look how I want, with another R&B beat. I'm not huge on it musically, but I do like the incorporation of elements from Not My Responsibility. Track 11, Everybody Dies. Anyways, if the past few tracks weren't already a downer, here's a song about how everyone is gonna die someday. God damn, this instrumental, so good. Yeah? Yeah, my favorite from the album so far. I'm glad to hear you say that. Actually, That's no, awesome. my favorite from the album. That's I, I wrote so far at the time I was like listening to it. No, no, I can safely say that this was my favorite song from the album. Oh, that's awesome. Ironically, it's about people dying. <laughs> yeah, it's another very instrumentally like low key song like Haley's Comet, but it's wildly different in subject matter. And I like how it's trying to normalize the idea of thinking about death. Some people see it as such a sore topic that they refuse to ever talk about. But coming to terms with its inevitability, I found to be very comforting. Track 12, the third single released back in April of this year, Your Power. Folk. Folk. Folk ballad. I actually took time to listen to like a couple seconds of it back when it was released. 
Yeah. Uh, because I, I recall hearing about the folk direction, I was like relatively confused. And then I skimmed through it and I realized, oh, that the electronic feel is still there. So I was like, eh. But now that I've listened to it, I feel like instrumentally it suffers from not having enough movement and kind of relies on the vocals to carry it. But I did like the last course. Also, I just to be clear, uh, it may have been my side or I don't know. I was listening to the official YouTube rip. I heard some audible clipping a couple of times throughout the song. And I don't know if it was just my side or not, but I thought that was a little bit weird. Interesting. Hmm. Like, I don't know how to describe it in layman's terms because it's not something that the casual listener will understand what the fuck it is. And that's the problem. <laughs> I can talk about it, but to actually explain like a subject like clipping without any audio, it's difficult. I like this one. It's nice and simple, and I feel like we don't get enough of Billy's falsetto vocals these days, so this feels really fresh and unique compared to her other work. So, I'm hesitant to actually prescribe meaning to this song. She said that it's just generally about emotionally abusive relationships, but it seems like there's a little more going on. A lot of fans seem to think that this, as well as several other songs on this album, is about her ex who is shown in the World's A Little Blurry documentary, who went by Q. Specifically what was notable, and seems to be directly referenced in the song, is the age gap between them. They dated when she was 16, and he was 22. Oh shit, actually, okay, let me tell you something about this. I actually wrote this part in the seventh song, but I didn't talk about it. The seventh song? Yeah, uh, in Lost Cause, I wrote about yes. something about this. Yes. I was like, Jesus fuck, dear God. Yeah. Because it's, there's, it's a very real possibility that a lot of songs on this album may be about him in that situation. It's fucked up. And he was emotionally abusive. But, of course, Billy has never directly admitted that any of the songs are about him. Because honestly, they might not be. I think people, especially today, tend to assume that every song that an artist puts out is about a specific person or situation that they went through. But this isn't always the case. Take Paul McCartney, for example. He wrote so many love songs in his career because it was what he was good at. And were most of them in the late Beatles' wings and early solo days probably about Linda? Yeah. But what about the early Beatles stuff? What about the stuff since Linda passed away? Maybe they were about Jane Asher or his second wife Heather or his current wife Nancy, but they don't have to be. Or temporary secretary. Or temporary secretary. These songs can apply to many different relationships. They're made to be relatable, or in some cases, just to be good songs. And sometimes we know for sure who songs are about, like Just The Way You Are and She's Always A Woman by Billy Joel, but sometimes we don't. And that's why I avoided talking about Lady Gaga's ex-boyfriend in the Born This Way episode, because I just didn't feel good about saying definitively that any of the songs were about him. And I guess that makes me a bit of a hypocrite, since that's exactly what I did in the Sour episode about the Joshua Bassett and Sabrina Carpenter situation. But I'll be the first to admit that we all could be wrong about that. There's just a lot of evidence that we're probably not. Maybe none of the songs on Sour are about Joshua Bassett. Maybe some are and some aren't. Nothing is definitive. And I wouldn't have given in to such speculation if we somehow had a massive following and bigger platform after the first episode. But since we didn't, I felt comfortable talking about that situation. The thing is, though, after the documentary came out, a lot of Billy's fans sent hate messages to Q. And while I'm not going to say he didn't deserve that, I personally feel less comfortable saying that a fuck you song is about someone specific for that reason. As an artist, when it comes to getting inspiration for stuff... Half of it is literally ideas. I can speak for myself and myself only because I know who I am. And whenever it comes for me to write songs, 
that are kind of in this vein or this area. It very much is me borrowing a feeling and using that feeling and kind of like reinterpreting it. And I know for like as many songs as like as your power, there's probably a bunch of other ones that are just like it that aren't as good. And so those those do probably exist. Yeah. Track 13, the fifth single released on July 9th, 2021, NDA. Andrew, I need you to sign another NDA. Fuck you. I'm, I'm making people sign NDAs for my secret project. <laughs> yeah, spooky. You haven't heard about it. No one has. Oh, really? Oh, oh, it's super spooky then. Okay. Super spooky. You know what I think about this song? That stupid plucked instrument. I know someone's going to make a fucking Siva Gunner rip and they're going to fucking spin it to make it that Among Us thing. I hate they're you. It, do do it. it does sound like Among Us. <laughs> they're going to fucking <laughs> it do it. So it many just, people it's, say it's... the song sounds like Among Us and it does. I hate to say it. If no one's going to do it, I'm going to become the first person. <laughs> if nobody do has it. done it, I'm I have sh- the power. I, I, I wield guarantee the power. You the ungodly power. I guarantee you it's been done. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to reel in those YouTube retweets and shit. Those YouTube y- yeah. retweets? <laughs> Holy what the shit, fuck I is a YouTube retweet? I'm going, show up on, uh, I'm going to show up on fucking TikTok timelines. I'm going to get those uh, TikTok retweets too. I wish that the heavier instrumentation that kicked in was more aggressive also. But I also thought that the use of the autotune was kind of... I mean, it worked in some areas, but it was kind of overall eh. Yeah, I think there is a discussion to be had about the use of autotune in music in the way it's used here. Because a lot of people just rag on its use regardless, because initially it was only used to correct pitch and tune and made music sound really artificial. But then a lot of artists like Kanye West and Ringo Starr started to use it more artistically, you know, as as an effect, like vocoder mm-hmm. or talkbox. And honestly, it can sometimes really add to the song. And I think it does here on the chorus, sort of adds to the raw emotion of it. And speaking of Ringo Starr, since he also does this a lot, I love the self-references to other songs on the album in the second verse. I really like it. But otherwise, I'm not really huge on this song other than the chorus and outro, which I think is instrumentally and vocally outstanding. Also, you could like probably mix in closer from uh, Nine Inch Nails with the ending. I think it'd work well. Interesting. That'll be your yeah. second mashup after the Among Us mashup. Or you could do both. You could do an Among Us and Nine Inch Nails mashup. I gather all the retweets and the upvotes. I'm going to get those TikTok upvotes. Yes, get those upvotes. Track 14, Therefore I Am, the second single released back in November 2020. This song is so fucking catchy. I liked the chorus and that was it, but I also thought that the lead-in from NDA to this song was really smooth. Yeah, oh, I love that fucking transition. That was really good. Yeah, this is the kind of song that when it comes on the radio, which happened a lot after it came out, you stop whatever you're talking about and you vibe to it. Them's the rules, I don't decide this. Well, I go against the rules, but I will say this. I heard the song on the radio and I actually took the time to look it up and it was mostly because of the chorus. It's a good fucking chorus. And that is my only extent of the enjoyment of this song because I did not like anything else. Well, I love the way it transitions from the previous track and the laid backness of the vocals and the keyboard sound during and after the bridge. I I just think this song is perfect. As for what it's about, again, no one has specifically been named, but it's generally about smaller celebrities trying to use Billy's name for publicity. There was one instance in particular I heard that may have had some credence to it, but I wouldn't want to actually talk about that since it would be giving undeserved attention to people who only said it for attention in the first place. Am is having a field day with this song. Who is? Am. Am. Shut up. <laughs> I, I have no mouth and I must scream. Track 15. The title track, Happier Than Ever. 
apparently not a single, but does have a video. This song is fucking wild, dude. Like, the first half is that low-key ukulele ballad that was used in a lot of promotional material for the album. So before it came out, we all thought that the whole song was going to be like that. But then the second half slowly builds into this full-on rock song. That's one of the coolest things I've ever heard from her. I didn't expect it. I yeah. really didn't. It came out of fucking nowhere, and I loved it. You know what? I I think this would have benefited from a really unlikely, like, artist. Who? Who do you think? Weezer. Oh. I think Weezer would have been great if they had performed the way they did in Pinkerton. Well, Weezer, on your next cover album, look into this. If the rock instrumentation was combined with, like, Pinkerton's, the way that Pinkerton was recorded and the way that they were writing at the time, I think this song would have been even greater. It's just missing a fucking good gu guitar solo, I feel. Yeah, oh my god, a guitar solo would have fucking made this awesome. And it already is awesome. See, but I actually had a thought of another artist when hearing this. Because when, when, when the second half started, at first I was like, wait, is this an Olivia Rodrigo song? Because the vocal delivery really does sound like her at some points. And Billy was one of Olivia's influences. But I think that what sets this above the stuff on Sour is that it takes the melodies and lyrical themes of stuff like Traitor and blends it with the heavy instrumentation of Good For You and Brutal. And don't get me wrong, I liked Sour, but if it was missing anything, it was that kind of song. And Happier Than Ever fills those shoes nicely. I also will I will say this in uh, like production wise I uh I hear like a overdriven bass and I I can like hear it actually doing its own thing with like the master as a production technique I understand what's happening I just don't know how to explain it very well but I hear it and it's very it's it's an interesting choice I would say to the fact that it's also affecting the master itself and I hear that they had to kind of like turn down that in order to make sure that it doesn't actually blow everyone's eardrums. But also, the fact that this song has a bit-crushed outro is very, yeah. very interesting, because yeah. I would not expect something like this on, like, a mainstream album. No, it's so, it's so wild being on here. It's the last thing I actually expected. Track 16, the final track, Male Fantasy. Another folk ballad to close the album, again lamenting over a failed relationship but being more sentimental about it than she was on Your Power. It finally brings the album full circle. And it's also the part where everyone grows up and realizes that accepting and moving on is the course of action. Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. What, are you going to say Elaborate something Elaborate on that, because... Elaborate? The way I see it, the song's more about, like, it's not It's not really about moving on as much. Well, it's, it's not moving on. Okay, okay. Because well, I'd say the songs that are like, like growing you up. are more moved on. I'd say it's a much more mature way. Okay, I guess moving on is not included, but I kind of thought it's like the part where, you know, you grow up and you realize there are better ways of handling shit. Yeah. Because I feel like some aspects of this album could be very, could be like seen as un, like immature in some ways. Well, and I feel like this is like the 19. song, like this is. But yeah, of course, go figure. But I feel like this song is like the the kind of like that weird, the part where, you know, oh, you realize there is some growing up to do, basically. And you do what you know at that time. And the first song is, is called Growing Older, so I guess it does kind of come full circle. At least that's how I interpret it. I really like the chorus, but I guess otherwise I feel the same way about it as I do Your Power. Personally, I think the album should have ended with the title track at least musically. But Billy said that this was one of the last songs they wrote and they didn't want to end the album on an angry note, which I get, but I personally find the music to be more important when it comes to track order than I do the lyrics. So 
feel like ending on that really heavy, surprising title track would have been a little better. But I don't hate this. Well, in that case, they should have wrote a better song. What? For an outro. Like after Male Fantasy? Or no, just simply like flat out saying, okay, well, yeah, we don't want to end it on an angry note. But to me, like, I, f- I don't know. I didn't feel like I don't even remember the song. And I just listened to this album like about an hour ago or finished listening to it about an hour ago. Just, but you just said so much about it. <laughs> I said so much about the, the lyrics. I just don't remember the instrumentation. It's the same as your power. I'm going to be completely honest. Not enough movement then. I'm just going to say the same comment I made for your power. Final thoughts on the album? Uh, weirdly cathartic for me. I wasn't expecting this today. It makes Sour a kids bop album to me. <laughs> That's a really funny comparison. I actually enjoyed this album. Oh, I wait, hold on, hold on. Did I fucking do it? Yes. I fucking did it! I got him! But I wouldn't say that this was like a surprise to me, for the most part, because I do have a lot of respect for Phineas's productions. So it's not like, it wasn't too much of a surprise to me. Because it's like, how would I put it? If I really did listen to Billie Eilish, I probably would enjoy a lot of their work. But, eh, I don't. I did it! I keep in my own line. I keep in my own line. But I will like some of the songs when I do get around to uh, searching it up on Spotify. So, uh, some of the songs will be on my rotation, at least for now. Some of them. I fucking did it! I won't be returning to like 90% of it, though. And, like I said uh, about the 15 track, I really wish Weezer was involved. But Pinkerton Weezer, not New Weezer. I did it! Also, uh, like I said at the beginning, I feel like everything I wanted, I wish it was somewhere in there. But we already discussed this, and it probably worked better as that deluxe album, I guess, or whatever, from hey, the, for the first album. Hey, hey, Andrew. What? I did it. Are you gonna, are you gonna <laughs> seep in the glory of, I did it. I picked an album you liked. doing something I picked that an album you inevitable? Liked. Finally. <laughs> That's all right. Bask in your glory for once. It's not cathartic for you, it's cathartic for me. <laughs> it's all right. Anyways, I'll give my final thoughts now. I did it, but I'll give my final thoughts now. I really like it. It still maintains the dark feel of her first album, even though we all expected it to be wildly different since most pop artists tend to have a completely different feel with each of their albums. This album felt familiar, but also tried a lot of things that Billy hadn't done before, and some of them worked better than others. I'll admit that I don't like every track on it, but the tracks I do like are absolutely some of my favorites from her. Do you have any music to recommend on this evening? Uh, I have... You know what? You fucking select the song first. This is gonna take a while. I was gonna do a bit where I pretended like I forgot. <laughs> but you're, Congratulations, you're do actually, your bit. You're actually forgetting, so whatever. Well, I'm uh, not forgetting. No, I just whatever. didn't have one plan. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give mine. Uh, it's a, gonna be another recommendation based on the karaoke party in Ohio I went to last weekend. Although I guess it, by the time you hear this, it'll be about two weekends ago. Anyways, I'm gonna recommend Family Tradition by Hank Williams Jr., a old classic country song. I'll probably never recommend anything like this again. But yeah, the host of the party and the dad of the Ohio family did a whole bunch of like Johnny Cash songs. And like, he's got a great voice for it, honestly. And at one point, he and other people came up and did that song. And like, I wasn't super familiar with it at the time, but it was really good. And I enjoyed it. And it was it was a fun time. And then I was watching an episode of the top 10 revealed on AXS TV, which is like this TV channel that shows a bunch of like concerts and music shows and stuff. And it was about like country outlaws, you know, and Hank Williams Jr. was on there. And then that song played and I'm like, oh, it's that song from the karaoke party that I really enjoyed. So that's my recommendation. Family tradition, Hank Williams Jr. My recommendation is Shaking Hand by Women. That is my song recommendation. Hell yeah, women. Women disbanded 
like about a decade ago. Oh, no. I'm still sad about oh, it. Oh no! Even though I don't, they only made two albums and then left. Watch it be an all male band. Your silence is deafening. I have no idea. That, I, don't, I just didn't want to say anything because I I don't remember. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Well, this has been on a Friday. Tune in next week, and it'll be Andrew's pick once again, and maybe he can do what I've finally done, and he'll pick an album that I like. I mean, he's already Tune done in next that, week, but he could do it again. Tune in next week where you won't get what you want. <laughs>